0: Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we're going to talk about EMS with really a world class researcher from Canada. Many of you probably know her, Dr. Magda Havis. So, welcome and thank you for joining us today, Dr. Havis. My pleasure all right so uh for those of our viewers and listeners that don't know who you are perhaps you can give us a brief history because uh you're a phd researcher up in canada but maybe you can go in the background and more importantly what brought you on this journey to explore emfs because i think you were somewhat skeptical but before you share that let me first Give a preface that uh, I was like most physicians and professionals and people out there, the general public, which are pretty confused because of the telecommunications industry, that and, and convenience. That you know, we just don't want to believe that EMFs are dangerous because they're so damn convenient and give us so many benefits. So why, you know? And there's and so many public health authorities and experts are saying that they're safe, so we don't want to believe it. And I was in that group uh, that I, I kind of intellectually acknowledged that there was a concern, but I thought it was health and I could could uh, get over it. So the, the, the long and short of this is that literally about a year and a half ago, I attended one of your lectures, presentations at Dr. Klinghart's in New Jersey. And along with Dr. Klingert and you, I really, you know, you were a real powerful catalyst for changing my views to the point where I moved from intellectually acknowledging to actually taking aggressive actions to remediate and lower my exposure to that. So I want to thank you for that. And you were really important in my my personal journey. So why don't you tell us about your journey and how you got here? Because I'm sure it's fascinating.
1: Okay. Well, I'm a professor at Trent University, a small liberal arts university in Canada. And uh, my original research was on acid rain and metal pollution. So I was looking at chemical contaminants and the effects they had on the environment, um, both plants and animals. I've worked in the Canadian Arctic. I've done research at Cornell University with Professor Jean Likens. Um, And so that was my primary area of research. Uh, In about 1990, um, I was teaching a course called Pollution Ecology, where we deal with a lot of different chemical pollutants from mercury to asbestos to, you know, lead, all of the nasties. And um, I wanted to teach about electrosmog as well. I had heard that children who live near power lines have an increased risk of developing leukemia. And I thought, you know, this would be a different type of pollutant that I could introduce into the class. Um, I, you know, update my lectures every year because the world of chemical toxicology changes so dramatically. And um, I began to look at the literature and found that it was um, really confusing. Uh, There were a lot of studies showing that. Uh, yes, children who live near power lines have a greater risk of developing various types of cancers.
0: Uh, but in other that's studies not, that's not controversial, is it? That's well accepted even in It's not
1: controversial now, was controversial when I started, which was about 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of studies showing no no cancer, no increased risk of cancer. So and and uh people were saying, well, you know, the studies that showed an increased risk were improperly done, blah, blah, blah. And so I felt it wasn't time for me yet to enter this field, because that wasn't my area of expertise. My area of expertise was chemical toxicology. And one day, my husband uh, was visiting his brother in Wales. And they were walking the dog late at night near a nuclear power plant. And they went under some high voltage transmission lines. And my brother-in-law was a a chemical um, mechanical engineer. And he whipped out a fluorescent tube from under his coat (laughs) and held it up under the power line and It lit up. And so my husband came back and told me about this um, because he knew I was interested but had sort of put it on hold and um, That evening I unscrewed one of the tubes from our kitchen under the you know under the cabinets And went out and did the same thing near a high voltage transmission line and it lit up so That sort of intrigued me. I didn't understand the physics of it. I do now, but it took me a while. And depending on where you held it, if you had the tube and it was just, um, you know, you held it halfway, only the top part lit up and the bottom part was dark. dark. And so I asked a friend of mine, a physics prof at my university and said, do you think this could, you know, cause childhood leukemia? And it was his response that really turned me on to this research. And his response was definitely not. And I think when you ask someone for their opinion about something, it's really important to find out what that opinion is based on. So I just asked him and he said, well, there's not enough energy. It's not ionizing radiation. There's not enough energy to cause cancer. So you have nothing to worry about. And that wasn't a satisfactory answer. And so at that point, I decided that I was going to demolish the literature. I was going to go through absolutely everything very, very carefully and um, figure out for myself whether I thought this was a real effect or whether it was just an abnormal uh, response in a few papers. I undertook a three-year research. It took me three years to come to a conclusion. And first, I devoured the childhood leukemia literature. And my response to that was, my assessment was that, yes, the leukemias are real. They, They were reproduced too often in too many different studies around the world. Um, The effect was small, so we're not talking about, you know, millions of children coming down with leukemia. Um, But it wasn't enough. Um, And so I then went to the occupational literature and I started looking at, you know, people who work in high electromagnetic occupations uh, at power frequencies. And once again, the literature showed that there was an increased risk of leukemia, but also brain tumors and breast cancer. And so this is now giving me a lot more ammunition um, and convincing me that there could be something here. Uh, I then began to look at natural electromagnetic fields to find out how our body reacts to them. So I went from uh, childhood leukemias and residential exposure to occupational exposure to natural electromagnetic fields. And then a friend of mine suggested I look at the healing effects of electromagnetic therapies. And already, you know, my head was kind of buzzing with all this information, and none of it really fit a pattern. It was, st- it was all over the place, and I was trying to make sense of it. And I was reading something about um, um, bone fractures, how you can use pulsed electromagnetic fields to heal bone fractures, and that's well established. It goes back to the 1960s and 70s. And when I looked at this literature, and I was once again going through it very, very carefully, Uh, One of the documents said not to use PEMF therapy on people with cancer. It didn't say why. It just said not to use it for people with cancer. And so I was trying to make sense of this. And what PEMF therapy does, among other things, it increases cell division. And when you have increased cell division of bone fragments, then that's good because it's going to promote healing. But if you have increased cell division of cancerous cells, then that's not good. And I sort of had an aha moment and that's, you know, that took me three years to get there. Um, And at that point, I realized that um, low frequency electromagnetic fields um, can cause cancer um, and can definitely promote the growth of cancer. And since then, um, the research is just basically supporting all of that information. And so I went from studying extremely low frequency electromagnetic fields doing research, introducing it into my courses. And then I met a guy called Dave Stetzer. And um, I had a a woman call me from Toronto, a mother who had a daughter who was electrically hypersensitive. And this was back in 2003, 2004. So it was a long time ago. And I had heard of electrical hypersensitivity. I didn't quite understand what it was. Um, And she told me that her daughter was going to a new school and was so sick at the end of, you know, the morning that she would have to come home and spend the rest of the afternoon sleeping. So she basically wasn't getting an education. And the mother said, I think it's the dirty electricity in the school that's causing the problem. And I had not heard of dirty electricity. I didn't know what it was. And um, she said, the reason I'm contacting you is, I'm wondering if you would be willing to do a study at the school. We have permission from the principal um, to, uh, filter the school because there are capacitors that you can plug in um, that will reduce the dirty power. Because I think not only will my daughter benefit, but other students and potentially teachers in the school will benefit. And um, I was somewhat reluctant, but when mothers go out of their way to do something for their kids, all I want to do is support them. So I figured that I, we could do a study and um, even if the results showed that there were no effects, because I was very skeptical that you could put something in an electrical outlet and it would clean the electricity and everyone would be happy and healthy after that. And I thought, even if we found that there was no effect, that was a valid scientific study. And so I undertook it with that in mind, expecting not to find anything. Um, we did a study. It was blinded. so the, And it was basically focused on teachers um, because you can't do studies with students, Um, you know, you can't interfere with their um, privacy from for ethical reasons, but we looked at classroom behavior as well, not individual student behavior, or health, but overall classroom behavior. And when I finally got to analyzing the data, I was absolutely shocked by what I found. At that time, um, electrical hypersensitivity was attributed to less than 1% of the population. And we didn't have a large enough sample size in the school that even if if one, you know, um, 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 teacher was electrically hypersensitive, it wouldn't show up because we didn't have a large enough sample size. But we found that about 44% of the teachers, I think originally um, improved while the filters were plugged in. And we did a before and after. Um, And because they didn't know what was going on, um, it wasn't a placebo effect.
0: It was blinded
1: it was totally blinded they had they thought we were evaluating their teaching ability they had no idea what we were doing and we told them we couldn't tell them because it would affect the results but at the end of the study we'd reveal all the information and we had a custodian that plugged filters in on the weekend and these are just little boxes that you know you can't you don't really notice um, um, and so we did that study found that uh, teacher health improved And student behavior improved. And many of the symptoms that improved in the school were those that we associate with attention hyperactivity disorder. And um, so this was quite intriguing to me. Dave Stetzer was then invited to come to the school. And I went to meet him for the first time because I had not met him at that point. And we had a long chat. I shared the results. And he invited me down to Wisconsin. and um, we basically toured around and he showed me you know, some of the work he was doing on farms. At that time, I was living on a farm. My husband and I ran a rare breeds uh, farm uh, where we had genetically rare breeds of sheep and we had lots of other animals that were all kind of pets. <laughs> and um, I went down there and we had had a ground current problem on our farm. And one of the things Dave was studying was ground current. And we went to these farms where the cattle were just um, kicking up a storm. They were really, really uncomfortable. Uh, and we drove around with uh, another colleague who was a, an electrical engineer. And basically, for about a week, I picked both their brains and learned uh, as much as I possibly could. And we agreed to do some research together. So I was really, really impressed with what he was doing.
0: Was that, was that, that Martin time, Was that the other individual, Martin Graham?
1: No, um, the other individual was a a different electrical um, engineer. Uh, Martin Graham uh, lived in California at the time, and we were in Wisconsin. It was someone who was working um, with Dave, who's unfortunately since passed away. Um, And so for, you know, for the week, um, we had a great time. We shared information. And Dave told me that he was pre-diabetic. And that um, his blood sugar increased when he was in an environment with a lot of dirty power. And so I thought I got really excited (laughs) uh, because with blood sugar, you can measure it. It's not something you can consciously control. And so I thought this is a perfect type of study to do where there's an objective um, assessment as opposed to how bad is your headache today kind of thing. And so I started working with people who were diabetic. And I found we did we did a number of uh, different um, uh, we worked with people who are both type one and type two diabetics ranged from age 12 to 85 um, Who were on medication or not taking any medication and we found that if you're diabetic whether it's type one or type two And you're electrically hypersensitive Then your blood sugar will increase if you're exposed to dirty power and and There's something called brittle diabetes, which is a a form of diabetes where people can't control their blood sugar. It suddenly goes up or it suddenly goes down, and it's not related to their activity or their food or medication. And I really think that brittle diabetes is environmentally triggered. And I think one of the triggers is electromagnetic pollution, whether it's dirty power or higher radio frequencies, Um, One of the people we worked with was a woman in New York, um, who was a type two diabetic. And um, she didn't take any medication, she was overweight. And she would um, walk to get her blood sugar down. So if she measured her blood sugar, it was high, she'd walk 20 minute walk, and it would come down to a a normal acceptable level. On days when it rained, um, or she didn't feel like walking outside, she would walk on a treadmill. And whenever she walked on a treadmill, her blood sugar actually skyrocketed, went way up, which is not what you would expect. Um, And doctors, one of the things they recommend is exercise for their patients. They don't distinguish between walking outside or walking on a treadmill. But if you're a diabetic and you're electrically hypersensitive, treadmills give off dirty power. They also have a high magnetic field. And so you might actually be doing more damage to your body Uh, because of the stress that the electrosmog uh, generates in the body and hence your blood sugar goes up.
0: Well, That would be a a motorized treadmill though, because there are treadmills that don't have
1: Exactly. (laughs) This was an electric uh, electronic treadmill that had a variable speed motor so you could change the speed. Even
0: worse. (laughs) Exactly,
1: exactly. (laughs) Um, Another person we worked with was a woman in Arizona who was a type 1 diabetic And she took medication on a regular basis, had her blood sugar under control. Um, And but her house had a lot of dirty power. And so an electrician went in, filtered her home. The levels dropped by about 98 percent, really severe improvement. Um, And she required much less insulin as a result. So every morning she woke up, her blood sugar was lower. She would take less insulin in order to regulate it properly. And I could tell whenever she went out uh, because her blood sugar would increase. And the two things she left to do was go to a casino, which has a lot of dirty power and go to the mall, which would have a lot of radio frequency radiation as well as dirty power. And so I could basically track her her movements by her blood sugar levels because they changed so dramatically uh, when she left the house. So these studies were published. Um, I then met a woman who was, Um, principal at a school in Wisconsin and she had multiple sclerosis and her MS was becoming so bad that um, by the end of the day she was toast by the end of the week you know she slept all weekend she couldn't remember the name of her students uh, at the end of the school day Um, and um, she was in a school where there was a very high rate of asthma among the children as well And the teachers were complaining of ill health. So they were complaining of migraines and a lot of other things. And they thought there was something in the school that was causing this problem. And uh, normally when you have a sick building, you look for two things. Chemicals and mold are the two normal things that you look for. And the teachers uh, said that they would go on strike unless the school board did something about them. Uh, About the problem and finally uh, they were motivated and during the summer They got rid of all the chemicals ripped up carpets disinfected You know did as much as they possibly could to reduce the mold problem if if there was one um, and to get rid of toxic chemicals and when the teachers and students came back in the in September Um, their symptoms came back. So what they had done with respect to mold and chemicals wasn't the cause of the illnesses. The principal contacted Dave Stetzer, uh, explained what was going on and asked if there was anything Dave could do. And so Dave went in and measured power quality. And in most schools, I, I don't know of any schools that would have good power quality because of all the computers and fluorescent lights and all the technology that they have in there. And so Dave went in, measured the school installed filters, um, and of the kids that had asthma, I think, I can't remember the exact number, I think it was something like 37 or 39, um, they took, they had to use their inhalers on a daily basis at school. Um, After the filters went in, only four of them needed to use their inhalers, and only when they exercised. So there was a huge improvement in uh, the symptoms for asthma. And the way they found out about this was really quite intriguing. The parents would buy the inhalers; they would have one at home and one at the school. The school nurse kept the inhalers, and she made a record of every time a student came in to use it. And the parents would call the the school nurse, saying, "You know, we're re- replacing, you know, Char- Charlie's or John's inhaler. Uh, should we replace the one at the school as well?" And the school nurse would look at her records, and she would say, "Well." Charlie hasn't used his inhaler for over two weeks now. And when they traced it back, it was after the filters went in. So basically, the filters cleaned up the power quality in the school. And because of that, um, the um, symptoms of asthma were simply not triggered, uh, which was really quite intriguing. So with the asthma and the MS, um, I mentioned the, the one of the uh, uh, principals had MS. Um, her symptoms also began to improve. And I found out about this. And so I thought, well, we could certainly do a study uh, with people who have multiple sclerosis. Canada has to be, has one of the highest rates of MS in the world. Um, And there's a lot of research on the importance of vitamin D and various things for MS and, you know, exposure to sunlight would would benefit that. Um, So we, um, I started working with people who had multiple sclerosis. And the very first woman I worked with, um, I didn't want to do a blinded study with her. I didn't want to use dummy filters you know, or the real filters. I just thought, let's see if this makes any difference. And I explained everything to her. I said, look, there are these filters. They might help. I have no idea. Would you be willing to do a six-week study? And we, we set six weeks as a limit that um, should have had a result. And she agreed, she was actually quite willing, her MS was quite bad, she couldn't walk properly, she needed a cane or she did wall walking where you hold on to something because her balance was so poor. And I went in measured the dirty power in her home, um, installed the filters had her prior to that I had her um, uh, document her symptoms for a two week period. And then uh, we did this, the testing. And I remember the day, and I gave her my home phone number to call me if she had any questions. And I remember the day after we installed the filter, she contacted me and said, I can't believe what's happening. And I thought, holy shit, she's fallen, pardon my language. She said, you know, I thought maybe she fell or something happened. And she said, I'm already improving. And I thought, this is an amazing placebo effect. Like, I couldn't believe your MS symptoms could improve within 24 hours. And so I asked her, I said, what do you think is happening? Um, You know, why do you think you're improving? And she said, well, uh, my daughter noticed it. She said, I was walking into the dining room from the kitchen carrying a casserole with both hands, whereas normally she would have had to hold on to something and she couldn't do that. And so every day after that for about a week, she kept calling me and telling me things that she could do that she couldn't normally do. So You know, one of the things was she could actually bend down and take something out of the uh, bottom of the fridge without falling into the fridge um, because her balance was so bad. And so we documented that I then contacted other people who had MS and we set up a a much larger study. And the results were so dramatic um, that when I would go to a home um, and a woman would tell me, tell me when you're coming for the interview and for the measurements and I'll leave the door open just knock and come in because it'll take me too long to take my Walker to the door to open it for you. And um, that particular women woman within six weeks um, was not only able to walk without any assistance and open the door. She told me she actually went on a vacation with her husband and was dancing. And I kept thinking, you know, no one's gonna believe me because I could barely believe my own eyes about um, what I was noticing. And so I began to videotape these individuals. Um, And so the videotape is my proof and and the videotape is just absolutely outstanding uh, for the recovery of these people with both um, primary progressive and regressive uh, MS. So many different types of um, multiple sclerosis uh, benefited. Not everyone we tested benefited, but the vast majority uh, had some improvement, not only in their physical ability, but also their cognitive ability. So um, it was, you know, it was really quite obvious. Um, I was then sent some um, MRI scans of someone with MS um, who had uh, started using filters and had used them for seven years. And uh, one of the things that the brain scan showed was that there was a decrease in the sclerosis um, in the brain. And so not only did it improve symptoms, it actually um, allowed the body to heal itself um, against multiple sclerosis, which is quite quite amazing. So those were my you know kinds of studies I was doing with people who were electrically hypersensitive. Um, I became uh, very interested in finding out how to diagnose them so that medical doctors could test their patients. Um, Now, electrical hypersensitivity is recognized by the World Health Organization, although they would prefer to call it idiopathic environmental intolerance, meaning that they have no idea what causes it. We know that there are certain conditions um, that increase the prevalence of, of electro hypersensitivity. Uh, One of them includes physical damage to the uh, spinal cord or to the brain. So if you've been in a car, you have whiplash or you've had a concussion, um, that would increase your risk of developing electrical hypersensitivity. Similarly, chemical trauma, if you have mercury amalgam, for example, or high levels of toxic lead or um, um, PCBs or anything that's a, a neurotoxin, that would also increase your risk of developing electrical hypersensitivity. If you have um, bacterial infections, parasites, if you have Lyme, for example, which is becoming a very serious problem, that increases your risk. So electrical, physical, electrical, um, chemical, biological trauma all increase your risk of developing electrohypersensitivity. And if you happen to have an impaired immune system with lupus or something, you're very young or very old, um, that has the same effect. So, While we don't know exactly what causes it, these things predispose a person to developing uh, EHS. And so I began to work with people with electrical hypersensitivity. And one of the tests we did, um, once again, I I sort of listen to uh, people who tell me what their symptoms are, and then I try to figure out how do we document those symptoms in an objective manner based on what it is that's actually, that they think is affecting them. So someone who's sensitive to electromagnetic pollution in the form of dirty power may not be sensitive with respect to electromagnetic fields low frequencies or may not be sensitive when it comes to microwave radiation everyone has their their trigger so we set up an experiment with people who claimed that they had heart palpitations Um, they would go into an environment very often these were stores uh, that they would visit for shopping And they felt as soon as they walked in, um, their heart would race, they would have kind of an anxiety attack. And that they had to leave the store as quickly as possible. And very often they said that they would make a list, go in, do the shopping as quickly as possible and leave because the longer they stayed in the store, the worse they felt. Um, They would develop brain fog and and, um, become dizzy and nauseous. Um, And the heart is something that's really quite easy to monitor. And so I contacted um, a friend of mine, um, uh, Jeff Marangell, who's a chiropractor um, and he does energy medicine. And we set up an experiment where we tested people, 25 initially uh, in Colorado, some of who uh, claimed to be electrically sensitive, others who hadn't even heard what the term meant. Um, and we tested them using heart rate variability uh, technology and exposed them to microwave radiation, from a cordless phone, the base station of a, of a cordless phone that radiates nonstop. We didn't want to use a cell phone because um, uh, it, the frequency and the intensity varies depending on location. Um, and so we wanted something that was fairly stable that we could um, document. We found that uh, a number of people responded, not necessarily the ones who thought they were electrically sensitive or the ones who thought they weren't. There wasn't a, a good relationship there. Um, but people who had a, a fairly healthy heart, um, fairly good fitness, were the ones who had the greatest response um, because their autonomic nervous system was able to kick in when the body was under threat. And basically what they experienced was a stress response. There was an increase in their sympathetic um, and a decrease in their parasympathetic uh, with an increase in either heart rate or a change in the heart rate in terms of um, arrhythmia. And so once again, we, we sort of published that. This, was, um, this happened to be a double blind study where the person didn't know when we were turning on the device. And uh, Jeff Marangel, who looked at the data Uh, didn't know what the person was exposed to during different time periods. So it was a double blind study um, that was really very powerful showing that this is not something that people can actually regulate themselves. And just one example, we had a person who had a heart rate of about 65. They were lying down on a mat. Um, The cordless phone was behind their head so they couldn't see it and didn't know when it was turned on or off. Um, And their heart rate zoomed up to 120 beats per minute while they were lying down. And most people would have to go up at least a flight of stairs in order to get that kind of response from their heart. As soon as the phone was disconnected, their heart rate returned to normal. And while this was a more extreme case, um, there were several people who had that kind of response. Um, That study was criticized, um, saying that uh, the technology was actually interfering with the technology. So their heart rate wasn't increasing. It was affecting the uh, sensitive um, sensor, uh, documenting the heart. But it didn't happen with everyone. And um, these people could tell that their heart was racing. So um, I think there are people out there who don't want this information to get out and certainly want to downplay any harmful effects of microwave radiation. Okay. My own um, blood is something that I've been testing uh, over the years. And uh, one of the things um, I became interested in uh, early on was pulsed electromagnetic fields or the healing effects mm-hmm. of electromagnetic um, therapy. And one of the claims uh, they made, um, the company, the type of mat that I used made, was that it uh, allows your blood cells to uh, flow more freely, improve circulation, that sort of thing. And I thought, well, this is something that I can test. And so I actually tested my own blood, um, put it under a microscope and simply had a look at it. Um, And I found that um, the day I did the testing, I had just finished working on a computer, didn't think it affected anything at the time, put my um, drop of blood on a cover slip under a a microscope and found that my blood was really coagulated. It was really quite viscous and um, wasn't flowing very freely. I then laid on the mat um, at a low setting for eight minutes. And when I retested my blood immediately afterwards, it was beautiful, it was free flowing, individual cells, nothing was clumping. So I was really impressed that this technology, um, the claims they made were actually uh, accurate. But I was concerned that my blood was so clodgy before I did the testing. And so I began to do it much more systematically. And I found that when my blood is exposed to Microwave radiation, whether it's a Wi-Fi router, a cordless phone, a cell phone, it goes into Rouleau formation. There's virtually no cells that are are single cells. Everything is just clumping together. And we know that the effect of that um, is really quite damaging. Um, It could cause a stroke, it could cause um, a heart attack. Um, It certainly reduces your um, circulation in your fingers and toes, for example leaving, um, leading to cold extremities and tingling sensation. Um, So all of these testings uh, that we were doing was to try to alert medical doctors, what is it that you can do in your office um, to diagnose someone with electrical hypersensitivity. So things like blood sugar, heart rate, um, uh, blood coagulation are some of the things that can actually be done uh, so that doctors can do the diagnostics.
0: Okay. Well, let's unpack some of the <laughs> long answer you gave to my first question. So, <laughs> you know, so you've established that there are a number of variables that seem to res- responsive to this dirty electricity, which we haven't defined. And I wanted to ask, address that first, but I have a few questions on the studies. So I was particularly interested in the, no- the, the percentage of improvement you noticed in diabetics. Uh, I, since you did the study in Canada, I would suspect that the units were millimoles instead of milligrams per deciliter, like we do in the U S which is about 17, 17, 18 times higher than a millimole. So maybe if you just give us a percentage improvement, cause most people won't know the millimoles.
1: Okay. Uh, well at least, um, okay, I'd have to look at the exact study cause you're right. I'm I'm used to, but, uh, um, with the woman who had, who was on the treadmill, mm-hmm. her blood sugar, um, initially might start at, at 10 millimoles um, mm-hmm. and it would go up to maybe 12 or 13 when she walked on the treadmill and it would drop down to about seven when she and seven is about the, the level. I think that's 126 in your mm-hmm. the units that you end up using. Right. Uh, which is a, a good value after exercise. So seven, right? yeah. So, you know, it was really quite dramatic. Um, the responses that we were getting.
0: Well, perfect. So the uh, other questions, um, Mm -hmm. you know, establish what a basic is, because, you know, a lot of people hearing this, I did interview Dr. Sam Milham, who wrote the book, Dirty Electricity, and we went into a little bit there, but, you know, you've, you're coming from a clinical perspective and doing the Mm -hmm. studies on it, where Sam is more of an epidemiologist. So, uh, and I'm wondering, you know, because I've I've spoken with Dave quite a bit and uh, spent actually three hours at the subsequent uh, meeting with Dr. Klinghart. And he he gave me a really good education on this and taught me how to use the oscilloscope he he does, which is is a very definitive waveform analysis, much more effective than the simple meter that he has. So, um, you know, he explains it as being these high voltage transients induced Mm -hmm. from primarily switching power supplies uh, in the home or certainly the electric utility company or your neighbors you know they can do that and they get in the circuit so typically from two to hundred kilohertz mm-hmm. and and that's what these filters do they remove those frequencies if they're low enough intensity because there's some things like solar inverters which the filters don't work really well for mm-hmm. so you have to need an additional filter that is thrown in the inverter but I'm wondering um, you, you know, you also described your experience, the positive experience personally you had with PEMF, and it would seem to me that <clears throat> that may be a contamination issue with respect to the regular house filter, because the house filters are, frequency, are cycling at about the same frequency that PEMF does. I mean, it, c- certainly some of them go lower, but it's still below 100 hertz, you know, which is a biological rhythm. Mm-hmm. Uh and there's no high voltage transients on the PEMF. So you're just getting those biological rhythms, whereas the electrical electricity that's almost always contaminated has these high voltage frequencies. So do you think that's the primary issue that differentiates the two, is just the frequency, uh, the pure frequency?
1: I think it's a variety of things. I mean, with PEMF, um, depending on the technology that you're using, they control the frequencies. You're right, it's often under 100 hertz in in many cases, but not always. Mm -hmm. Um, They often use a sine wave, sometimes a square wave, sometimes a sawtooth wave. Um, They have very different effects on the body depending on the wave shape. Um, The intensities are quite different. Um, When it comes to uh, power quality or high high voltage frequency transients, we're talking about kilohertz. um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's the frequency range. According to Dave, Um, the Russians did some research and they found when the uh, frequency was above two kilohertz, it tended to go internal to the body. So it it passed the skin and went inside. And you'd expect that to be much more harmful than something that simply skirts around uh, the outside of the body and might affect the skin, but nothing internal. And so the filters that um, he and Martin Graham developed uh, were really for that frequency range the Russians discovered was harmful to the body, so with PEMF and with dirty power, we're talking about two very different animals um, with very different characteristics.
0: So you've only given us a small taste of your breadth of knowledge on this topic. So uh, I'm going to ask you something you haven't talked about, but I know you're you're expert at this. So how would you compare the dirty electricity? Because there's there's essentially, you know, you've got dirty electricity, you've got magnetic fields, electric fields, and RF fields, and, but the most common exposure, I'd like you to give us a framework and a perspective on this because your experience in this field is quite useful. Do you think that the dirty electricity is more harmful for most people than the radio frequency exposures? I know they're both something to be avoided, but how would you rate them independently?
1: I think it really depends on the individual. Um, I mean, there are some people who respond only to microwave radiation. They don't respond to anything else. Others respond primarily to dirty power. Dirty power and um, microwaves are virtually ubiquitous. They're Mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, And one of the conferences I went to was a building biology conference um, in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And um, there was a woman there, I was speaking at the conference and there was a woman who came up to me and said, you know, I'm really, really sorry. I can't stay um, for the rest of this conference. The hotel room I'm in is just making me sick. She was electrically sensitive. And since we all had meters there, a bunch of us went into her her room to find out what was she exposed to. It turned out there were high magnetic fields. Um, There was a cell tower that was just (laughs) not too far from her bedroom, a window um, that was radiating the room. So there was microwave radiation and there was dirty power. All All of it was present and someone had filters. So we plugged the filters in, did nothing else. So the magnetic field remained high the microwave radiation remained the same and the next day she said I'm feeling so much better. Mm. I think dirty electricity is really a missing link. There are very few people in the world studying the biological effects of dirty electricity. There's been a huge amount of research looking at electromagnetic interference which is another thing Mm -hmm. that dirty electricity does. Um, And so, you know, engineers are very familiar with this Mm -hmm. and they very often will shield against that to protect sensitive electronic equipment. Um, they don't realize that by protecting the equipment, you're also protecting human health. And that's really, really important. Um,
0: yeah. So let me also explain and i want you to elaborate on this that there are built there are professionals in the united states and worldwide uh that evaluate this and that's all they do is go to people's homes and measure and help remediate and in the u.s the primary one is the building biology or biobiology mm-hmm. from germany and the reason i mention them is that they do really good for magnetic and electrical fields and not electrical mm-hmm. fields uh radio frequency fields but they fail miserably in electric fields oh. uh and it is just beyond me and actually i've taken a sort of an aggressive stance and kind of threatened them to like expose them to the world unless they get to the table and start and start dialoguing with dave to 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 change their position on this and we're actually going to have a phone call later this week to help change that philosophy i hope they do but so even the experts who've been doing this for decades are confused on it so if you are watching this at home don't get don't get confused because there is a lot of uh, misinformation about this. And, you know, some to the point is dangerous. And one of the, I guess the points that uh, needs to be addressed is that as fair percentage of the people's homes, there are wiring errors. Mm-hmm. And if you have a wiring error and you, and you plug in a dirty electric filter or dirty electricity filter, it actually would make it, may make it worse. So, there's a supposition here that you have to have a competent electrician to confirm that there's no wiring errors because anything you plug into it, whether it's a capacitive filter like the, the to, to remediate the dirty electricity or a light bulb, it's going to cause a problem. So, why don't you? I gave you a, a handful of topics there to, to go off on, and I'm sure you can expand.
1: Okay, well when it comes to the building biologists, I agree with you, they do a terrible job when it comes to dirty power. Not all of them, some of them recognize the importance of it. They have something called a demand switch uh, that they recommend you buy for your bedroom. And basically, this demand switch allows you to turn the power off at the um, electrical panel yeah. uh, remote to your bedroom. Control switch, right. Exactly. Um, the problem is, if you plug in a, a filter, the remote control won't work. It won't turn off the yeah. power.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> important to know that these ele- these uh, electric the filters require electricity for them to work. <laughs> so, Right. <laughs> and the, so- the, the dirty electricity is still there because it comes in on the ground. You know, they don't understand or realize that it's just beyond me why they don't get it, but they don't. Right. And
1: And I think that's one of the reasons they don't recommend the filters is interferes with their demand switches. So, you know, do you filter, do you use the demand switch and, and, you know, I don't know the
0: answer to that. Um, well, let me but, let me hold you there because there's an extension question I wanted to add to that, which is that there's a difference between most residential buildings and commercial buildings in that, by com- code, safety code, the commercial buildings are required to put the uh, electrical wires in in metal conduit, which essentially is like a Faraday cage and shields the the electrical fields from coming out. But I don't think that they. This is where I'm a little confused myself. that they shield the Dirty electricity fields coming out, even because they're still there if you turn the power off. So if they're in, even in a, in a in a Faraday cage, it's, I don't think it's going to matter. But so does it make a difference in a commercial building? Because typically in a hotel, you know, you you have the luxury of having that insulation as long as you don't have something in the wall plugged in to take the fields into the room.
1: Exactly. Well, I was just going to say that. I don't know the correct answer for that. I think Dave would be the one to ask. But my guess is that those metal conduits would reduce the dirty electricity coming in. Okay. But as soon as you plug a lamp in, that yeah. cord Boom. is not. And so you get the dirty power there. Yeah. And you know, your computer. So you're going to be near those kinds of wires that don't have the metal conduit. People who are electrically sensitive, who are uh, recognize the importance of having your home as a sanctuary. Are beginning to use those metal conduits for their home wiring as well to minimize the electromagnetic fields coming from the from the wiring. However one of the things you said that I think is really important and that is uh, it, if you have wiring errors um, it doesn't matter what you plug into the electrical outlet you're going to end up having problems and for some reason the building biologists have tried to um, suggest that it's only the, the these filters that make make the electrical problem and it isn't. Um, mm-hmm. So what you've got to do is fix any wiring errors you may have before you go to the next step, which would be reducing the uh, poor power quality.
0: Okay, now let's let's address some practical remediation strategies and I want to thank you so much uh for your recommendation over a year ago of a device called the acousticom 2 which you pr- brought and proudly displayed everyone and it's a really nice because it uh, gives you an audible feedback and a visual feedback <clears throat> and it's an analog so it, by the type of sound you're hearing you could actually identify the source of the rf signal and it, but it is rf only Acousticom only measures rf or, or microwave signals so you need another one for magnetic and yet another one for dirty electricity and fortunately that those these meters are relatively inexpensive. Yes, you can get professional great stuff for thousands of dollars. And if you're professional, you should have that. But for the consumer, a, you know, $150, $200 will get each for these devices and you'll have a you know really good system that would help you identify and remediate because you can do a lot of this stuff at your home for pretty inexpensive. So why don't you expand on your remediation strategies and then we can talk about the filters a little bit too.
1: Okay, well, normally I recommend that if if you want to know uh, what you're exposed to in your home, the best thing to do is measure it. You -hmm. can hire someone uh, provided, you know, they're qualified and they have good recommendations because I've heard horror stories of people coming in and doing a very shoddy job. Uh, But this is something that most people can do quite easily. And I recommend three, three different types of meters they buy. One is the Acousticom II, which is really quite small. Um, the other is the um, tri-field meter that's also relatively easy to use and not very expensive. And then the dirty electricity meter, with, which is called a microsurge meter, with one filter. I usually recommend you buy one filter. And that would tell you how much you could reduce the dirty power if in, in that particular situation. So you could determine how many filters your home may actually need. And I think if you have these three different devices, um, and if you know what the levels are, what you're looking for, and and that's available on various websites, including my own, um, then you can go around your house and find out what you're exposed to. It's really quite simple. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, the, the, just the caution that Trifield, they call it Trifield because it measures three things, electric, magnetic, and radio frequencies. It's terrible for radio frequencies. You don't even think about it. And it's just about as bad for electrical fields. So it's just really a magnetic meter. And it's a screen. It's a good screen. You can really find stuff. It's got two different scales that you would have to use if you have low scale and high scale, but it's a really good device.
1: I agree, it's not very good for electric and, and microwaves, but it's quite good for magnetic fields. Um, and that's what we're most concerned about our magnetic fields at, the, at this moment. Uh, you're also concerned about electric fields, but they have to be quite high, much higher than you would normally find um, in a home. Um, so those are the three meters I recommend they buy. There's ways of going around doing the measurements and the more you play around with it, the more comfortable you become with it. Um, and you know, you'll find some real surprises. Um, when you have the meters, um, because things that you think might be turned off or aren't radiating, maybe and increasing your exposure. So uh, doing your own testing is something I highly recommend.
0: Yeah, just to give you one two examples of this would be uh, r three, actually <laughs> maybe four, you know, <laughs> like I had my desktop computer plugged into an ethernet cable for years, no problem. I'm good I'm clean, right? Well, Little did I know that your desktop, just like your notebook, you have to put it in airplane mode, otherwise it's blasting you all day long. So that's a surprise. And then then next to the TV I'm watching, it says, why is it high when I turn the TV on? Well, in my case, I made a mistake because I was ignorant at the time and didn't really understand the importance of this. I had used a Wi-Fi router as a switch instead of buying just a switch. So every time that went on, I was getting radiated, which is like it was literally a foot from my body, which is like the most insane thing to do. So I found that. And then then also when I got rid of that, there was still radiation. And it turns out it was a smart TV. And you cannot turn off the radiation, the Wi-Fi on a smart TV. I mean, it's, I guess if you're a hacker, you could, and you really were a programmer, a coder. But Mm -hmm. us normal individuals, we can't do it. You know, so that's, you know, those those are the ones I found too. And uh, I only found it, and I found it with the Acousticom too. Yes. Yeah. Well, Well, I have the
1: same... I had the same experience. Um, My uh, router went and I had to buy a new one uh, and I deliberately bought one where you can turn off the wi-fi uh, aspect of it. I never use wi-fi so I get them to turn it off right at the um, the um, company that provides the router um, and supports my system. And I was in my office and a friend of mine came over uh, who's electrically sensitive and we were talking and she said, you know, there's something here that's making giving me a headache. You've got some radio frequency. I said, not me, not my home. (laughs) 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 And so we got a meter and lo and behold, uh, there was something giving microwave radiation and it was the router. And so I contacted Bell, which happened to be my my provider. And I said, could you please turn off the Wi-Fi um, at your end? And they were, of course, surprised, like, why would I want to do that? And I gave them a little explanation, not too much. and she said, well, I can't do that. So they bumped me up to a, another technician. And um, he said, OK, we've done it. But I could still read it. And I said, no, you haven't. I said, I'm still getting microwaves in my office. And he said, oh, OK. He then bumped me up. I was bumped up three times, basically, before they actually turned it off. And if I didn't have my meter, I would have thought they had turned it mm-hmm. off. Sure. So, you know, it's really, really handy uh, to have to make sure that you're not exposed to anything. When I walk around, it's green everywhere in my house, which is mm-hmm. wonderful.
0: Or, or even, even better, no lights.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, and even though my neighbors, you know, they're far enough away that I get a little tingle radiation when from their Wi-Fi, um, you know, but uh, that's about it. And it's much safer than in most places. And when people come over to my house, one of the things they say it feels so calm in mm-hmm. here. And I think that's basically the reaction of your body just being stimulated all the time and going into this kind of anxiety, panic attack, Um, worse for some people than for others, but it really makes people on edge. And they don't realize it until the power goes out, (laughs) you know, or they're in a clean environment. And then they just feel this kind of awe, you know, just wonderful.
0: Yeah, it is great. And just a little further elaboration on the Wi-Fi router issue you may want to consider purchasing a router that has no Wi-Fi it's impossible it is not there then, then then you don't have to worry about this because if it's firmware enabled or disabled and they do a firmware update which they can easily do because it's the cable company then they update it and boom it's on unless you're testing every day you're not going to figure it out I have to be happen to be an obsessive-compulsive so I do put that white wi- acoustic comp 2 on every day uh, Largely because I have a ring, an Aura ring, which says Bluetooth. And sometimes it will spontaneously go out of Bluetooth. Because it only goes into Bluetooth when you get the data off, which takes a minute once a day. So it's a pretty low exposure. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I just want to, I'm diligent to make sure that they're they are not messing around. I'm not, not mm-hmm. getting radiated. Because even though it's low power Bluetooth, it's still, you don't, you don't want that radiation. No. You want to avoid it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So. Um, you oh, know, one the, of the things. Go ahead.
1: One of the things that most people don't realize is um, people who are hearing impaired and have um, you know devices that improve their hearing. Um, oh, those yeah, are now. those are now using Bluetooth and they're talking the two different earpieces wow. you might have. They're right talking to the
0: brain.
1: <laughs> A friend of mine just had his hearing tested, and he has some slight hearing loss. And he tried these um, Bluetooth enabled. Um, What are they called? Ear?
0: um, Amplifiers, hearing aids, hearing Hearing aids. aids. Yeah.
1: And um, he got a headache almost instantly Um, and you can't turn them off. so whoever's making hearing aids has to be told that this is not a good thing for for their patients. Um,
0: well, a slight tangent of that is is a symptom called tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on which like pronounce it. But it's a really common symptom, of electromagnetic hypersensitivity. Mm-hmm. And once you remove the EM EMF exposure, that almost like disappears instantly. Problem solved. Yeah, you know, which is pretty darn uh, interesting. Uh, getting back to the filters it's been my experience that most people, unless you live in a minimalist house with like, you know, 500 square foot studio, you're probably going to need at least 20. And if it's a bigger house, 40, maybe even 80 of these filters. And I think they retail about $40, but if you call Stetzer electric and just type it in Stetzer, electric, it's electricity filters. Um, you they will give you a discount They'll the bundle a package for you it's not on their site you have to call them directly and then they'll include a meter in that and so you can get either a 20 40 for you know 30 40 50 off so it's a it's a much better value if you buy the amount that you're going to need for your home and interestingly dave told me that frequently you know couples will get them and their family and then the the father or the husband will be a non-believer and it's a turn up return those things back so it happens so consistently that they they will refuse to accept a return unless they take the filters out and leave them in their house for three days because they had so many people that they, you know they take them out they return them and like the next day they call them and says you know how can i get the filters back you know it was, it was like he's learned they have like very very few returns now because they they figured it out that people do notice the difference once they remove them
1: interesting one of the stories dave told me that's quite quite fascinating is he was in a bank and he was filtering uh the bank And um, nine months later, quite a few of the women had to take maternity leave. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) not surprising, not surprising.
1: That's right. So yeah,
0: it's certainly, I mean, we have 50% reduction in sperm quality for males, but it certainly has an impact on female fertility too. I mean, it's pretty well documented. Mm -hmm. Now, have you looked at the uh, mechanism actions at all that uh, Martin Paul has uh, described in his work?
1: Yeah, I'm familiar what, with some of his work. Um, and what, you know, what's, your not, what, what's your take?
0: What's your take on it?
1: Well, I think what he's doing is absolutely fantastic. Um, I think that the real um, convincing effect for me is actually the production of free radicals. Um, mm-hmm. And um, you know, one of the statements that um, physicists make is that this energy, like that I was told by my physics colleague. This energy doesn't have, um, this This frequency doesn't have enough energy to uh, break chemical bonds. So it can't dislodge electrons. However, um, so it can't cause cancer, basically. That's the comment they make. However, um, if you look at the literature on low frequency and microwave frequency uh, fields, there's an increase in free radicals. mm mm-hmm. Now, so there's two ways you can have an increase in free radicals in your body. We know free radicals have all, do all sorts of damage, including cancer, but even beyond cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question is, how can you have an increase in free radicals if you're not generating them with the ionizing radiation? And the answer to that is that what the non-ionizing radiation does is interferes with repair mechanisms or things that neutralize free radicals. And so if you stop repairing the free radicals, you're going to get more free radical damage. And so, basically, you're going to have the same effect um, with the, with non-ionizing radiation that you end up having with ionizing radiation. It's just a different mechanism, but the effect yeah. is through free radicals.
0: Well, it, I think more precisely, it's oxidative stress. Uh, Correct. Because some yeah. of the some of the oxidative stresses are not free radicals, and the most pernicious ones, like PRXC nitrite. And I, I've been really looking at. it. I've read thousands and thousands of papers, and literally spent hundreds of hours compiling a review uh, largely stimulated from Paul's work. And, you know, I've learned, learned some things that he didn't, he knows about, but didn't really include in his work, which is ultimately the, 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 the nitric oxide complies with superoxide form and nitrate. And that is is perniciously damaging causing single-stranded breaks in DNA, which is a problem. It's a major problem. And, but thankfully our body has the ability to repair. And this is where he didn't really go into depth, but if you look into it, there's lots of good, good papers on this. There is a, a, a a enzyme system, a family of enzymes actually, but the primary one is PARP-1, poly ADP ribose polymerase that repairs the damage, but it sucks up NAD when it does that. So if you can, I mean, obviously the best and most strategic intervention is to remove yourself from the, from the source, Mm -hmm. but assuming you you cannot do that, you're flying a 35,000 feet, you're in an office and they refuse to do anything. You're traveling in a hotel, you're exposed. So, you know, things like NAD can be very useful and things also like molecular hydrogen, which not only it, well, it, it activates NRF2, which is the master antioxidant pathway. But what I just realized recently is that it also inhibits uh nadph oxidase or nox and the nadph oxidase will take nadph which is the most it is like one of the most powerful components of the of cellular redox Mm -hmm. essentially recharges those antioxidants like glutathione and and vitamin c and vitamin e and um molecular hydrogen actually inhibits that enzyme it NOx or NADP oxidase which I didn't know and that's another so molecular hydrogen is a powerful strategy you know and I like to use the high dose ones like the nine parts or nine milligrams per liter or nine parts per million sometimes called uh, that that has the nano bubbles it's a little bit pricey but you know I take it every day uh, mm. even though yeah and and like more when I'm flying <laughs> or right. a hotel, we're in a hotel. Yeah, because you know, I think that's a, a good strategy. So, you know, we like to give people useful resources and tools. And mm-hmm. fortunately, you know, and that that's the thing that got me is that I didn't understand the mechanism. If you don't understand how it causes it, then you're just left, well, it's, you know, it's magical. It just damages, you know. So, mm-hmm. but once you understand it, and then you visualize it, which I, I applaud your efforts for in educating people is to make it real because it's invisible. And unless you've got your EMH, you know, you can't fee, he, hear, see or feel it like they mm-hmm. can. And once you can yeah. see that meter, you know, you know, it's a problem. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can't tell when I'm in a high electro smog environment. So I have to use meters. Yeah, most mm-hmm. of us can't yeah and one of the things i tell people who are electrically sensitive in a sense you're really quite lucky because you know you're in a poisonous environment and you can try to avoid it whereas the rest of us just go around blindly unless we have meters to tell us
0: yes it's all good so mm-hmm. if people wanted to learn more about what you some of your studies maybe we can link to them i mean are they open um
1: they're all peer-reviewed. peer reviewed. Some of are peer reviewed.
0: Some of the open source, so we can put yeah. links to those mm-hmm. and people can review that in details because the devil's in the details. Some studies are not done as well as it should be, and I'm sure they're not yours. But you know, and maybe before we go, just address this because this is such a powerful component that leads to the confusion I had than most people on this issue, which is the massive, clever, sophisticated, strategic intervention of the telecommunications industries that essentially mask the ability to understand what's going on. They discredit authentic Mm -hmm. legitimate researchers they spin off dozens of other studies to to prove them wrong and they they buy off the federal regulatory agencies and the legislators so it's it it creates a problem so what's what's your take on that
1: well that's been something that's happened all along when i did acid rain research we had exactly the same thing um you know the um industries the mining industry um said basically there's no such thing as acid rain it's happened with tobacco it's happened with lead This is the norm, Um, and unfortunately, the public isn't aware that, you know, some of the best scientists in the field are the ones who are going to be criticized the most, um, because once you destroy their credibility, you destroy their ability to to say anything, Um, and you have to be very brave. I mean, a lot of the things that you've done have been very brave, you you know, stood up against you know, the government and, and pharmaceuticals and, and everything else uh, in order to share your knowledge of and your understanding of what promotes good health and what is unhealthy. Um, and the people in this field are doing the same thing and they're being criticized. Um, there's no research funding for this kind of research. So um, a lot of it is just not being done in North America anymore uh, because of that. And all we're really trying to do is try to get the information out so that people can make wise choices.
0: But there That's is research really being done. I think the Bio Initiative report, which is a massive compilation of studies, I'm sure you're familiar with. I think it's like 1,700 studies that they right. listed that support this—that that there's damage from exposure to these fields.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and there was the recent uh, National Toxicology Program study with rice with mice and rats uh, showing an increase of you know, certain types of cancers um, in the rat population. That's an
0: interesting example of telecommunications industry interference because that's what it initially showed. But then, when they had those initial results, then they changed the study's lead author, and the funny, and they came up with different conclusions. <laughs> exactly. But then they
1: opened it up to um, public response, and quite a few scientists from around the world responded, and they're back to saying it's harmful again. Oh, so, really? I didn't
0: made that. Tr- I didn't realize. That yeah. Had to transition. Back. I think
1: they were under a lot of pressure uh, to downplay the harmful effects, but um, that's been changed because of the experts who have come in and testified. That's
0: good. Yeah. And there are a lot of experts in the world and from, I mean, you don't obviously live in the United States, but you know, it's close enough, but from your perspective as a researcher in the field, do you feel that there's more, um, discrediting influences in the U S and Canada versus Europe or across the world?
1: Most definitely. Yeah. You've got, particularly in the U S you've got such a powerful lobby. um, you know, whether it's pharmaceuticals or the telecom industry, For example, Tom Wheeler recently um, made a speech a few years ago. I'm sure you've seen the video of it um, where he says, we just have to go ahead with 5G and there's no testing. You know, we're going to be the first and we're going to make billions of dollars. Well, those billions of dollars are going to come out of of our pockets. Um, And at the same time, they're going to expose us to much higher frequencies, some of which are being used... Uh, in weapons, you know, by the military for crowd control at at higher intensities that they're going to be using for the public. We have no idea what the long term consequences are. And yet he's just pushing straight ahead. He's no longer with FCC. uh, But the the, um, attitude is the same. Let's move ahead as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah. And what most people may not realize is that Tom Wheeler, I believe, was the head lobbyist for the telecommunications industry before he went to the FCC. That's right. (laughs) Imagine that, this revolving door. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So
1: Barack Obama has quite a bit to answer for by you know putting him in charge of the FCC but I don't think uh, Trump is doing anything to um you know regarding the health of this.
0: Whatever your party is or whatever the president it's it's just pervasive it's just difficult to get out of that uh, industry influence it because mm-hmm. of the funding issues so it's just it's mm-hmm. just a challenge so any other words of wisdom and advice that you have for our, our viewers
1: well there's two really important things that we haven't talked about but okay. we probably Good. don't have time oh, but, no, um, go,
0: ahead. go ahead if we haven't talked uh, about it, go into it
1: one is lighting and, oh yes uh, yeah and screens how important they are and the other is ground current and that's becoming a really serious problem okay, let's in go into you-
0: it my, my take is that no one no one should have a fluorescent light that's the basics mm-hmm. and if you have them at your office or your school turn the damn lights off and just use natural sunlight
1: right yeah but well, go, it's not on, only, exp-
0: go ahead go and expand
1: unfortunately on it. it's not only the fluorescent lights yeah um, i
0: know but they're the worst uh
1: yeah there's some incandescent there's some um leds that LEDs. are really bad as well yeah okay. And they're coming out with something new. uh, And these are smart lights, light bulbs, that you can turn on and off with your cell phone. You can dim them (laughs) with your cell phone. And they radiate microwaves as high as your Wi-Fi router or your cordless phone. Oh my
0: gosh, I did not know that. Gosh.
1: I went to a lighting conference in Germany um, two years ago. And I was giving a talk on uh, different types of lighting and you know, looking at the spectrum, looking at all the different frequencies they emit, uh, including ultraviolet and the relative ratio, of blue to red, all that kind of stuff. And um, I said, can you send me, because it was a lot of the uh, lighting industry was sponsoring this conference. And I said, can you send me a good quality light bulb? Um, and they said, no problem. So they sent me one and it was probably the worst bulb I've ever tested. It was, you know, one of these smart bulbs that as soon as you turn it on, it's emitting microwave radiation. And I remember talking to the president of the company when I went to Germany and I said, you know, your light, and I, I showed the results from the light bulb without identifying which one it was. And I said, your light bulb was one of the worst uh, because of this microwave radiation. And I said, you know, it's making people sick. He said, I had no idea.
0: Yeah, they're that not. That's the, they, they're just they had,
1: absolutely, yeah. 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 And he said, but... The entire industry is going that mm-hmm. way and we don't want to be left out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Convenience. Convenience. Mm-hmm. Sacrificing biological health for convenience.
1: That's right. Now the other thing is a lot of screens. There are different types. Well, of Well before we screens. leave that.
0: You know, just there's also, I mean, we're just talking about the, the the EMF components, but there's also the biological components of the quality of the light, you know, exactly. which is you're going to get to the screen. So, you, you know, you, you know, you don't want the blue light at night and it'll interfere with your circadian rhythm and, you know, all of those issues, which we've just mm-hmm. discussed with Alexander Bunch before from Germany. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so there's all, you know, there's a lot of things about lighting. And unfortunately, I haven't come across a good light bulb. Whoever invents a good light bulb is going to become a multi billionaire. Well, there's, uh, because there, they, they there, all need good lighting.
0: They exist. They had them when you were a child. It's called the incandescent bulb. And even better is a candle.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For, well, I, and, I have incandescent bulbs. Everywhere in my house, you know, so
0: yeah, and a big electric bill, I don't I have a big house, so I only put them in strategic places they turn around all the time. so the because I have people coming in like contractors and cleaning people, and they leave lights on and I don't want to leave them an in incandescent bulb, leave the LED on in a room that I've never had. Yeah. so but so you can you know you don't have to switch every fixture over. it's just the ones you use all the time
1: right, right. You know? There is a light meter that you can get. Um, it's made by Anadi Martel from Quebec. Um, mm-hmm. Costs about $100. Um, and you point it either at a light bulb or at a screen mm-hmm. and it'll tell you whether or not it's flickering and it'll give oh, you yeah. a sound just like the um, mm-hmm. acoustic meter
0: mm-hmm. but it's
1: for light frequencies and it's really really effective to find out. There's some people who will sit in front of their computer and they get you know dry eyes and sore eyes you know after a few hours. And very often those are the screens that are just um, you know the frequency they're just oscillating all the time and that's making your eyes tired it's affecting your brain and you can have screens that are really really quiet so they vary enormously the standards aren't being adhered to to prevent that kind of flicker
0: yeah when you put that flicker meter on an incandescent bulb it's quiet (laughs) that's right (laughs) there's no flicker on incandescent that's right So, and the other uh,
1: topic was ground current.
0: Yes. Let's talk about ground current. And, just and, very and, briefly. And, well, maybe even expand on it because I've changed my position on grounding as a result of my appreciation of this, which is, is I think we're going, but why don't you tell us what you're, what you're want to share? And then I'll give you my feedback.
1: Okay. Well, um, the concept is that with electricity, everything's grounded and the ground is just a big sink for everything. Um, And it turns out you can have electricity flowing through the ground. And this is happening more and more often, uh, in part because of the way we use electricity in North America with the way we distribute it and transmit it. Uh, We have so many multiple grounds that The electricity from an area of high electrical conductivity can move to an area uh, where there's less electrons. So you just move through the ground Uh, and you can create a current. When you have moving electrons, you can create a current. And there are farms mostly in Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa, you know, who have a really serious ground current problem with their dairy cows. And these cows are just constantly lifting their feet. because they're being exposed to ground current. But it's not the 60 cycle that's most Mm. damaging. It's the dirty power flowing Mm. through the ground that is causing the real problem, that's right. So you can have that dirty power flowing through the ground or through a wire coming from the wire and affecting health. Um, Now, there are some people who claim that the best thing you can ever do is get grounded. And Mm -hmm. I would agree with that, uh, Mm -hmm. provided you're in an area where you don't have a ground (laughs) current problem, you know, it's like, you know, you can drink clean water, you can drink dirty water, they have very different effects. So if you have no uh, dirty electricity flowing through the ground, getting grounded is probably one of the best things you can do. Um, But if you have dirty electricity flowing through the ground, getting grounded means it's now entering your body as it comes right in you know, through one leg and down the other basically. And so these devices that you get, that you plug into your electrical outlet that you then put on your bed so that you're grounded mm-hmm. at night. Um, people who use them are beginning to tell me that after you know, a couple of days or a couple of weeks, they're actually beginning to feel quite ill. Mm-hmm. And my guess is that they've got dirty electricity coming through the ground uh, into their sleeping area and hence making them sick. So you have to be very, very careful where you're grounded and when you're grounded and when you shouldn't be grounded.
0: Yeah, and let me just expand on that because I think that if you live in North America, virtually almost everyone, there are exceptions because there's no universals on this because there are some isolated remote areas where this is an issue. But almost everyone in North America should not be grounded because it's dirty, electric contaminated. Now you go to Europe, it's a different issue because Mm -hmm. they have the returns back to the substations which they, by law, have to have in the United States, but no one ever enforces the violation. So as a result, we've got we've contaminated the ground. So I've stopped grounding. I was one of those individuals that was great and promoted it, and, and it made perfect sense, but it mm-hmm. wasn't integrating into the equation, biological equation, the fact that the, c- the ground's contaminated. You know, so it's a, I love your analogy with the drinking water. It's just really a g- great, great uh, mm-hmm. analogy. Yeah, it's so, almost like
1: going swimming in a dirty swimming pool or swimming yeah, in or you, know, a you know river ocean, or like lake. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Now the exception, I you know I I live near the Atlantic Ocean. Just yes. away, and that because you're about that obviously it's an ocean. So it's one of the biggest bodies on of water on the planet. So then the current can go out. So then you can truly get grounded. Exactly. No so, ground current on the beach.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, so going along, you know, walking barefoot in the sand, in the ocean, in the salty water, one of the yeah. best things you can yeah, do. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, fortunately, I pretty much do that every day I'm home. Uh, so, but I would say 90, 95% of the year I'm doing that. So, at least I get a regular grounding exposure, but I, I stopped grounding myself at night because, you know, even though I live, I'm in between, I live between a river and an ocean. Probably it doesn't have that high d- dose, but I still don't want to do it. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things you can do is hug a tree and that'll have the same effect.
0: Now, yeah, explain why that works even because the ground is still contaminated. So how are you getting a beneficial biological grounding from the tree, even though the tree isn't rooted in dirty electrical ground?
1: Well, first of all, the tree isn't going to be that conductive in the bark. Uh, you okay. know, so we're not, we're not, we're not hugging a, a metal pole stuck into the ground. Okay. Um, and the roots are uh, quite deep. Uh and okay. so just being in contact with that means you're going to get the electrons flowing through your body in a very positive way. Um I've even had though, people who even though
0: the bark is an insulator because it's wood, it's still gonna come yeah, through.
1: Some of it's going, it there's always a little bit coming through. It's just how quickly. So okay. even insulated material will have a certain amount of flow through it, uh just okay. how much um really. But um, I've had people who've come over to my place who've been, you know, they've driven through Toronto, they, they're really kind of jittery, they're electrically sensitive. Oh, and I told them, yeah, <laughs> them to go in my backyard and hug a tree. And they Love hug it. it for about five minutes and they come away and they say, you know, I feel a lot better.
0: So. Oh, damn tree huggers. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well that's, that's a really good simple pearl and you know, really like that one because it doesn't cost her much except a few few minutes of your time. That's right. Yeah, that's a and good the tree
1: one. likes it too.
0: All right, so yeah, I bet, I bet there is there's some biological synergy there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any other recommendations or resources that you might like to advise us of?
1: Well, you know, one of the things I tell people um, really important to limit your exposure um, if you want to, you know, improve your health or, or make sure you don't become ill. Uh, another important thing is to build up your immune system, um, a healthy immune system. And then all the things that you recommend, from you know eating properly, you know getting sunshine, having you know moderate exercise, these are all things that are going to go a very long way in keeping you healthy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and honoring your circadian rhythm, I'm realizing is a real important one in sleep. You know, they're so, you know, uh, and then and not so much even what you're eating. Is what I'm learning is what's so more important is not is what what you're not eating and when you're eating you know mm-hmm. two variables that most people don't consider but you know just this right. time restricted eating window is a very powerful intervention to sync up your circadian rhythm all right and, well this has been this has been great well thank, uh, thank you. you thank you so much you know uh, we were seeking to get you here for a while but we had some challenges and those are, are finished now so i'm glad we got connected and we can share this wisdom with the masses it's great
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much.